All right. <clears throat> still sick. This thing's still a problem. All right. So pray about it. That'd be good. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so I want you to start doing something new for me. Um, this isn't something we've ever really done in, in Greenhouse or really ever emphasized, but I think it's really important. I, I really want you guys to start trying to learn how to take notes. Okay. If that's on Wednesday night or on Sunday morning or in life groups or um, wherever, I, I want you to learn how to take some good notes. And the reason being is this. Um, if you're in school, right, and you're in history class or whatever, you're in some class and your teachers um, are telling you a whole bunch of information and you just sit there and you just, you just listen. You don't write anything down and they don't give you a study guide and maybe you don't even have a book. And all you've got is just is you listening to some information that's being presented to you and you're supposed to memorize all of that stuff off of one hearing of it. When that test comes around, how well are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to goose egg that bad boy. You're, it's going to be terrible. You're going to get decimated, okay? I think it's the same way here, that if this stuff matters and this has consequence and has depth and meaning, then this might be something you need to try to remember a little bit. And even for me, man, even if I never go back and look at my notes, it still helps me focus or something. I have a, if I'm writing stuff down, I, I have a harder time zoning out and like thinking about how cool peacocks are and stuff. Like I just, I just I have a harder time zoning out if I'm writing some stuff down. So I know you didn't know that coming in. So I want you to get your phone out or if you have something to write on, if you have a journal or something, that's cool. Um, a lot of our leaders sit in the back and they take notes every week. And um, you'll see Jessica and I on retreats and on Sunday morning we take notes. And that's just something you need to learn how to do. All right. So there's going to be some stuff on the screen that kind of helps guide you. Write that stuff down. If anything kind of speaks to you or you have a question or, or disagreement or dude, I don't care, whatever. If it speaks to you or matters, then write that stuff down. Even if you never go back and look at this, I really don't care. I just, I want you to try it. I promise it's going to help you zone in. I promise it's going to help you get something out of it. So you got your phone out um, or whatever, and you're going to take some stuff down. Um, and I also want you to have your like, multitask thing over to your Bible so you can have your Bible open. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, a, a good version is uh, version. You can download that now and do that. I really don't care what version it is. Um, I'm doing NIV tonight if you want to like, pick that specific version of the Bible. Whatever, dude, I don't care. All right, enough of that. Um, our passage for tonight is found in Mark. Chapter 10, so in your Bible or whatever, in your notes too, write that down. Mark chapter 10, 35 through 40. And I'm using a paper Bible and I didn't mark a thing in this thing. So as I flip through it, I'm going to have to find it same as you are. So, so no pressure there, okay? So Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 40. I'm going to read that and then we're going to go back, start at the top like we always do, work our way down through it, okay? Mark 10, 35 through 40. Okay, you there? It says this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, it's a cool name, Zebedee, uh, they came to him. That's being Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Anything we ask, Jesus, we want you to do. Cool? <laughs> right. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus says, man, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Let's pray. Father, um, I think for a lot of us, the first time we read that passage, we don't have a, a fat clue what's going on. 
talking about cups and baptizing things. And it's just, dude, God, that's a difficult one. So um, I pray that tonight as we, as we dig apart this passage, that you would, you would speak to us about specific things in our life. That you would call us to change some behaviors, to um, begin some behaviors. I, I, God, I don't really know, but I pray that you would make this passage real and powerful to us, as murky as it might be right now. Give us an attentive spirit. Prevent us from being distracted. Help us get something out of this thing. Your son's name, pray. Amen. All right. Start at the top. Back up to 35, okay? It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they come up to Jesus. James and John, sons of Zebedee. These guys are nicknamed the sons of thunder. That's the most awesome nickname in the world. Sons of thunder, right? I asked Jessica, we were bouncing around baby names before Jack was born, and uh, I just suggested, um, you know, innocently, innocently suggested uh, James. So James is a good name. She's like, James? What do you, name, what do you want to name him James? I don't know. You know, if we have, we have like another kid down the road, we could like name him John, you know, and we could nickname him like Sons of Thunder, and then if they're the Sons of Thunder, then that makes me Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't fly. We have Jack. We don't have a James or John, but whatever. Uh, maybe we'll have more babies, and I'll be thunder. So James and John are the sons of thunder, and they're the, they're the, their dad's name is Zebedee, and they're, uh, they, they come to Jesus, right? And they, they, uh, they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. This is like when somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, will you do me a favor? No. What? I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're going to ask me. Hey, will you do me a favor? Dude, you might be a ninth grade boy and like ask to live in my house. No, I'm not going to like grant you a blank check, favor, whatever. Hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus is like, <clears throat> what? No, that's not a good idea. It's <laughs> not a good idea at all. Hey, they come up, Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. Anything we ask, will you do that? Is it okay for us to ask God things? Is that Okay. Is it okay for us to come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to do something for me. Will you just do whatever it is that I ask? Is that, is that okay? Is that in the, the realm of possibilities for you and I as believers? Do we have permission to ask things of God? We do. We absolutely do. But of a very specific kind. I want you to look at two passages. Um, I think they're one, the first one's coming on the screen. I got to get water. Turn to that. Philippians 4.16. forward in your Bible, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 4, 16 says this. No, that is not right. I'm in the wrong place. Dude, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Let's try 4, 6. Was that right? Maybe there's a typo. Yeah, there it is. 4, 6. Great. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we're commanded in, in Philippians 4, 6, not 16, we're commanded to, put our, to bring our request before God. Whatever, whatever that may be, read it again. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's powerful, man. Look at the next one. Uh, there's another one that's going to come up. It's uh, Matthew 7, 9. Hopefully that one will be correct. This is the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. 
<laughs> this is a funny one. Jesus says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a rock? If you go up to your dad and you're like, dad, I'm hungry. Here's a rock, boy. That's not a very good dad, right? Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Ah, snake, ha, <laughs> right? Dad, I want a fish, snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Ask him. All throughout Scripture, we see that we, we have the ability and, and the right to come to our Heavenly Father and, and present our request to God, to ask him for stuff. James and John, they walk up and they say, Jesus, um, will you do us a favor? Will you do something for us? Jesus uh, says, it depends. He's like, what do you want me to do for you? Tell me what you want me to do first, and then, then we'll talk about it. What do you want me to do? You know, I, I think it's interesting that Jesus did that. That he, that he said, well, tell me first what it is before I just grant you a blank check. Sometimes I really think that, that you and I believe in our, our heart of hearts that, that God works like a blank check. That we're just supposed to, um, in the morning or at night before we get in bed, we're supposed to throw out all of our, our requests and whatever that may be, that, that God's just supposed to answer that stuff. And then when he doesn't, when the answer's no, we, we like, well, what kind of God is this? I thought this wasn't the deal. I thought you were like, you're like all powerful. Why don't you just do what I want? I mean, if it's not, if it's not a big deal, if it's all powerful to you, it's not going to hurt you at all. You're God. Then why don't you just do what I say? If I say, God, I need you to help me get an A on this test so I don't fail, so I don't lose my license, so I don't have to go to summer school or whatever, then just help me get the A. Why is that so hard? Sometimes I think we, we, we just expect to do what James and John did and, and walk up and say, God, will you do me a favor? Um, I need this, or, and I need this, and I need this, and, and I want this, and this would be awesome too. If you can just knock all that out before morning, that'd be cool. Jesus tempers it. He says, I, I'm not gonna give you a blank check here. What are you asking for? Students, we're not called just to ask questions and ask things of God, just whatever it may be. We're, at, we're called to ask a, a specific kind of question, okay? A specific kind of question. Uh, go to the very back of your Bible to the, the book of 1 John. Revelations, it's 1, 2, 3, John, G, Revelation, okay? It's almost the very back. 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. We're called to ask a specific kind of question. We have a right to ask a specific kind of question. First John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. This is the confidence that we have in prayer. This is a thing that we can be confident in when we talk to our Father. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Think about that very carefully. If we ask anything According to his will, he hears us. Doesn't mean he's going to do it. Doesn't mean it's the best thing for us. Doesn't mean it fits in the long-term plan. But if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if I, if I go to God and I say, um, God, I didn't study for this test at all. At all, dude. Like, I didn't take any notes. I didn't read the chapter, but I really want an A. So God, can you just honor my laziness and just make this happen for me? That'd be great. How does that fit into the will of God? 
Hey, God, that girl over there is smoking hot, dude, like blind, like blistering the sun hot. Um, everything in my head and my heart toward that blistering hot entity over there is completely sinful, but I would like to date her. So make that happen. Is that in the express will of God? You're a girl and there's a boy who just pays you attention whatsoever. And you're like, God, that dude like will talk to me. And that makes me feel good about myself. And I really want to spend more time with him so I can spend even less time with you. So can you, can you just like work, like get him my number through somebody? That would be awesome. Is that in the express will of God? We're called to ask a specific kind of question, one that lines up with the overall will and purpose of God for our lives. Those are the kind of requests that he hears. So let's see what, let's look back at what James and John request and see if that lines up, okay? Back over in uh, Mark 10. I'm on the wrong page. Mark 10, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? In 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in your glory. So you may not have any idea what that means. Here's what's going on. Jesus and his disciples are, are traveling toward Jerusalem. This is the capital city where everything happens. Everything that matters is happening there. And these guys, a lot of the disciples, really thought that when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven is coming and, and the, the throne of grace and the, what he talked about, what they envisioned was him going to Jerusalem, overthrowing the government and being king. Overthrowing the government, he's king, he's ruling. And what James and John do, they come up and they say, hey, um, I know there's like 10 other disciples. Can we be the number one and number two guy? Is that cool? Like when we get to Jerusalem and you overthrow everything and uh, you're like up on the throne, can we have like smaller thrones, like on the right and left? We're, I'll be number, I don't, it doesn't matter which one of us is one and two. We're sons of thunder. We're gonna dominate, who cares, all right? I wanna, one of us can be on the right, one of us can be on the left. Jesus, is that, can we work that out? Let's, let's think about that. If that's, if that's really their motivation, then what's their, mo- what's, what's their motivation in that? If they're asking to be number one and number two on this king, this earthly kingdom that they think is coming, why? Why did they ask that? Was that to bring God more honor and glory and fame? Was that to love anybody selflessly? Was that, to, does that, was that to, to somehow line up and support the, the overall purpose of God for salvation of the nations? Does that have anything to do with that? Who does that help? Answer me. Them. It's just about them. It's for their honor. It's for their glory. It's just for them. Does that line up with 1 John 5, 14? No. There's a desire for status and not a lot else. Students, this prayer is a, is a scary mirror for me. When I, when I look at them and what their motivation was, I, I know I'm not going to like pray for a throne. That's weird. We don't have thrones, I, I don't think. I mean, but I'm not going to pray that. But sometimes if I'm not careful, I, I think I get dangerously close to praying for things that are just for my honor and just for my glory and don't really have anything to do with lift up the name of Jesus or serving his people or propelling the gospel out to the nations or anything that, that really matters for eternity. I think sometimes I just want my life to be easier. I think sometimes I just want God to be a Santa or a genie or a tooth fairy or whatever and just fix it. Are you there sometimes? 
where my prayers don't sound anything like 1 John 5, 14. And I know we all get there. And that's why this passage is is huge because it shows us this mirror where our desire for status and our desire for honor and our desire for ease like somehow creeps into our prayer life. And then then we say, God, will you do me a favor? And he says, what do you want? I want an easy life with a lot of money. He says, no, (laughs) what? That's how he responded. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking Students, when I was in high school, uh, beginning about ninth grade, I, I just decided that I was going to be a doctor. I had my specialties picked out. I've told you all about this before. I'm going to tell you again because there's a bunch of new people. I don't care. Just, if you heard it four times, just, I don't care. Whatever. You'll be fine. I decided I was going to be a doctor, dude, and I was flat crushing it. So when I was in ninth grade, man, um, my mom worked at a hospital, and I started meeting doctors and, like, writing letters to physicians. And I started shadowing physicians when I was in ninth grade. I had, like, internships as a junior. Dude, I had the resume to, I would destroy all your resumes. I mean, I was killing it. My, gra- my grades were great. My, my, I, I knew all these, do- I collected letters of reference from all these people I spent time with. Doctors were impressed with me. When I graduated high school, not one, not two, not three, but four physicians groups, like little societies that they have, cut me a personal check to go to college. They didn't give it to the school. It wasn't like a school scholarship or something. They just gave me money, like thousands of dollars. They're like recruiting me. I'm a 12th grader. Some people want to be doctors because they want to help people. I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to have a second story garage in my house. Like I planned it. I was that, I was that idiot kid that would not stop talking about money in high school. It's just like, just like makes you feel sick when they talk, right? Like I wanted like Scrooge McDuck money. I wanted to like swim in it. I wanted to wear goggles, Okay. Like goggles, swimming Scrooge McDuck. I don't care if you, you might not even know who Scrooge McDuck is, but you should. You should Google it. It's funny. All right. I talked about, dude, I want to have so many cars that I have to have a second story to my garage. And if it could be clear, that just sounds balling. All right. Maybe it'll be a clear ramp, right? I'll drive my Porsche up on it and like park up there. It'll be cool. There'll be a bus. I don't know. I just, I wanted like buku bucks. All right. Crazy money. And I was working hard to get it. I probably prayed some prayers in there asking God to help me get an internship or help me meet some doctor or help me with some test so that I could maintain that trajectory. That's what this sounds like to me. Students, is your passion for this person called Jesus, is it motivated by your ambition to get what you want? or simply by him. Is this thing called Christianity and your involvement in it and your passion for it, is it motivated by your ambition to get what you want? Or is it simply just motivated by the person of Jesus? To know him and to be known by him. To have that relationship no matter what the cost. What are you being propelled by? There's two big things I want you to walk away with tonight. The first one is what we've been talking about. I want, you to, I want you to bring your request to God, but I want you to do so with the right motivations. Write down, write this down. Ask with the right motivations. That's the first one. Ask with the right motivation. There it is. Look, it's beautiful. I'm going to give you a second to write that down. I want you to write down some of the supporting passage stuff so when you forget it and you forget 1 John 5.14, you got it. Write that stuff down. Ask with the right motivations. The second one is this. 
Students, we are called. You must follow with the cost in mind. You've got to follow Christ with the cost in mind. Got that down? Cool, let's work on it. So Jesus comes back and he says, uh, you don't know what you're asking. And he goes on, he says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And that may not mean anything to you, so let me break it down. All right, in the Old Testament, the, um, the picture of, of, of a cup was a symbol for a bunch of different things. It was basically a container for something. So it could be for good things. And there was this, the cup of God's blessing, right? And it talks about the, the cup of God's blessing overflowing for his people and like pouring out on them, right? And it's this, this vessel of, that, would, that can't even contain the goodness of God. It's this cup, right? There's also a cup of bad stuff, like God's wrath being poured out over the enemies and, and, and God's judgment, there's this full cup of God's judgment, and there's also, um, it talks a lot about a cup of suffering. God's people um, should expect to, to, be a, to drink of a cup of suffering. That's what Jesus is pointing to. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, right? And we talked about James and John who think he's going to overthrow Jerusalem and like get a throne and junk, right? And Jesus knows, he, right before this, if you look up, right before, uh, yeah, 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 in, in, the, in the exact passage, like the paragraph right above the one we're looking at in Mark chapter 10, Jesus again predicts his death. That's the third time in Mark that he's predicted his death. He said, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I don't know what you think is about to happen, but I'm about to go pay pay the price for the sins of the entire world. This is not going to end well. We're going to my funeral. I'm going to die for all of you and everyone else. I'm going to take all their sin on me and I'm going to be nailed onto a cross and I'm going to die to provide a, a, a sacrifice. I'm going to be that scapegoat we talked about last week. I'm going to take your sin away for, by dying for you. All of your punishment I'm going to place on me and then, dude, I'm going to pay for it. Jesus knows where he's going. He's going there to die. says, are you able to drink of this cup and be baptized with this baptism? So he knows he's going to Jerusalem to drink of this cup of um, suffering. He's going to suffer and die on the cross for us. And it's a big cup. It's like jacuzzi size, right? So I just want you to imagine like a jacuzzi size coffee mug right here. If I had one, I'd bring it in. It would have had coffee in it. It would smell great. So there's a jacuzzi size coffee cup with a little handle on it. That's the cup of suffering that Jesus is about to drink. He's going to suffer and die for, for my sin and for your sin. He's, he's, that's where he's headed. He's headed to take this jacuzzi-sized coffee cup of suffering for us. And he says to James and John, are you ready to drink of the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink of? Are you ready to die for this? And then he, and, and, and then he says this baptism thing. And this is the only time in all of Scripture that baptism is used like this. Like as, an, like as an analogy for something bad. It's the only time it's used like this. So think about this. Jacuzzi-sized coffee cup of suffering, right? And Jesus is about to be all in. And he's asking these guys if they're going to drink of it, but he goes on. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Think about that. If you've ever seen anybody being baptized, what happens? They're standing there in the water, then what? They're plunged in, full under, all the way under submerged, sunk in? Are you ready to be just sunk, plunged, 
in this cup of suffering with me. They ask for honor. They ask to be lifted up. They ask to be exalted among, above everyone else except just Jesus. And he says, what? You don't know what you're asking. Are you, ready to, are you ready to be dunked in this giant cup of suffering with me? Because that's what this means, dude. I don't know what you're thinking we're doing, but if you're following me, this is where we're going. It has nothing to do with you being lifted up. It's, just, it's like a ridiculous question. Sometimes we have a lot of little kids that come to my office uh, every day when they get out of, like yours, right? Uh, and, and like, great, Tucker, right? How old's Tucker? Four and a half. Funniest age in the world. They, dude, I don't even know what's going on in four and a half year olds' little minds, right? So, so every day after, or whenever they're in their little weekday thing over the side, they all come across and Denise does a lot of stuff in our office. She comes and hangs out and says, hey, and you know, distracts us. And then, uh, and Tucker's there, right? Tucker walks in and he's four and a half. He's like, you know, that big or whatever. And I'm, I'm typing on my, my, my computer and I'm, you know, playing a beach breakaway or I'm like working hard, filling out whatever I do, right? And I'm, I'm just at work. Every time he comes in, I'm, you know, plowing. And Tucker comes up, and, and he, he has this beautiful way of, of wanting to talk to you, but not having really anything to say. <laughs> He's like, I, I, really want, he, I really want to talk to you, but um, I don't really know about what, because you're old and junk. So, um, so he, he, what he does, he just slowly begins asking a question without having any idea where it's going. She's so like, hey, Mr. Britton. Like, What's up, Tucker? Yes. Have you um, ever seen a butterfly? (laughs) Beach breakaway. Have you ever seen a butterfly? What? Uh, Yeah. Why? You know they come from cocoons? Yeah. I know that. I'm smart. I know jump. How did they get in there? Dude, I'm, I'm filling out paper. I'm like filling out like credit card statements to like send into the finance department. How do, how do butterflies get inside cocoons? I, I don't even, what, what are we talking, what are we doing? Where am I? Is this real life, right? They walk up to Jesus and Jesus is mentally preparing to go die on the cross for James and John's sin and my sin. He's, he's prepared. He's got the cup of suffering. He's, he's ready. Hey, uh, uh, Jesus, can you do me a favor? Can you just exalt me above all else? What? Who? I don't know what you're talking about. Does not compute, right? Comes from this crazy direction and he says, Dude, I, I don't, you're like so far out in left field. You so don't get it right now. This is where we're going. We're going to the giant jacuzzi coffee mug of, of suffering. And if you want to come, that's, that's cool. But if you want to be lifted up, you're in the wrong team, okay? Like you need to just get out now because it's about to get real bad. You need to get out. I think that sometimes when we ask those kind of questions of God and we approach him in those ways where we just want to be lifted up. It shows us uh, just a mirror to our souls and our motivations. Whether we're trying to follow Jesus because of what we can get out of him or if we're following Jesus because he's worth it. Now we're ready to count that cost. We're ready to give up literally anything for him. Look at, just 
This is how crazy this is that they ask this right here. Flip back one page in your Bible to Mark chapter 8, just right before this. Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35. Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35. Just a, just a few, few chapters, like two chapters before this. He calls the crowd to him and his disciples and he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. That's a torture instrument. You bring your torture instrument with you and uh, follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you're pursuing the things of this world, you will not make it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus just told a crowd that if you're not willing to die to yourself for this, for this gospel, you're out. If you're not willing to die for this, you're out. And two chapters later, two guys walk up to him and ask him to sit on his right and his left. And we do the same thing, man. Where he's called us to, to follow with this radical abandon and instead we give him like a grocery list of things to do. Does that, that doesn't, that's like butterflies and cocoons, man. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's so foreign to the idea of the gospel that God is just here for your benefit and for my benefit and it doesn't cost us anything. That just doesn't, that's not even found in scripture. It's not even there. It's not even remotely a possibility. Are you in this thing called Christianity? Are you in it for what you can get out of it? Or, or, or are you in it because it's true? Are you in it for him? Are you in it for that relationship, willing to give up whatever it's gonna cost you? If it's gonna cost you some popularity, if it's gonna cost you some, some program, I don't know, whatever. Whatever it's gonna cost, if it's gonna cost you a dating relationship because the person you're dating is just causing you to sin every day. Like, I don't, if it's, are you willing to follow him when it hurts? Are you willing to call him Lord? Disciples didn't call Jesus um, Santa. They didn't call him Tooth Fairy. They didn't think that they were just going to sprinkle some good deeds under their pillow at night, and then they're going to wake up in the morning and he was going to like done stuff for them. They weren't in it for the rewards. They were in it because it's true and it was real and he was standing there before them. I love the story of Thomas, right, in John chapter 20, where, where Jesus has ascended from the grave, come back to life, and Thomas is like, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I stick my hand in, his, in the hole in his hand where the nail went through and put my hand in his side. And a few days later, Jesus appears in a locked room and says, Thomas, come here. Come here, bud. Here. Is that good enough? Is that good enough for you? You believe it now? You believe it's true now? Stick your... Put your hand in there, buddy. It's going to hurt. Do it. Stick it in there. I don't think Thomas touched him, but what he did, he fell down on his knees and he said four words. Jesus sticks his hand out and says, all right, here. Thomas falls on his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Two terms that, that mean that, that Thomas was subjecting himself under the lordship of Christ, that, that whatever that Thomas wanted anymore just didn't matter anymore, that his desires, that his very self just didn't matter anymore because there's this king, there's this Lord that's worth following with, with radical abandon no matter what the cost. I can't imagine Thomas dropping down to his knees and saying, my Lord and my God, and then getting up and be like, bro, um, I could use a couple of bucks. 
I can't imagine him coming and asking him something ridiculous question about sitting at his right or his left when he, when he finally gets to glory. God, can you lift me up now? My Lord and my God, can you just do what I want? That ain't it. That ain't it. He asks them if they can drink this cup of suffering, be baptized with his baptism, be plunged into suffering with him. And I don't think they really understood fully what that meant, but we know what it meant. James was murdered in Acts 12 2. Son of thunder number one, gone. Acts 12 2, uh, King Herod had him killed with a sword. Brought him out and executed him. Died for his faith. Cost him his very life. Wasn't metaphorical. He didn't have to like cancel a few dates or something. He was stabbed for his faith. John, Sons of Thunder number two, was uh, basically put in uh, solitary confinement on an island. He was, he was exiled to an island by himself where he wrote Revelation. He was the only disciple out of the 12 who didn't die for his faith. He was just exiled on an island alone. Not like Paradise Island, like Alcatraz Island. They, they indeed drink, did drink of that giant coffee cup of suffering. It cost them everything. And they followed faithfully to the end because they knew him to be true. They knew him to be worth it. I don't think they ever asked a question like this again. Once they really figured out what Jesus was about, what the, God, the point of the gospel was, that for the salvation of the nations, for my salvation, I don't think they asked questions like this again. Jesus told them right there. They said, yeah, we can, we can drink of that cup. And Jesus said, yeah, you're going to. Looking into the future, he's like, you're going to get stabbed to death and you're going to be exiled now and you're going to drink of this cup. But he still says no. He goes on, he says, um, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong for those for whom they've been prepared. They ask a question. He says, are you willing to drink of this cup of suffering? Are you willing to die for this? And, and they say, yeah. And it's almost like they would expect that, well, yeah, I'm willing to die for this, so now you're going to grant my wish, right? And he's like, no. It's going to be all suffering. And you're not going to get lifted up or exalted. You're not going to get any glory or power or fame. Is it worth it? And they followed him to their deaths. First thing I want you to walk away with tonight is that I want you to ask and bring your request before God with the right motivations. We're commanded to to ask our heart's desires to God with the right motivation. Secondly, we're called to follow with the cost in mind. That this thing called Christianity is not about what you can get out of it. We We follow the risen Savior because he's the risen Savior. And if it costs me everything, I'm in. It cost me my desire for second-story garages. It cost me what state I got to live in. It cost me some dating relationships, girls I just had to break up with, and I ended up with Jessica. I ended up with you guys. I had a life that I could not have imagined because following Christ is just better than whatever I could have done on my own. I literally died to that old self. That dude's gone. No one even liked him, right? And, and I became this new person in Christ, chasing after him with everything I've got as best I can. No, it's not perfect. Yeah, I still mess stuff up. But at the end of the day, my heart's after him because he's true. 
Those are the two things I want you to walk out with. Follow with the cost in mind, man. It doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean the wish is granted. It doesn't mean everything's great. It means following when it's hard. I think the, the, the question that Jesus was asking when James and John stopped him on that road was basically, dude, are you in or, for, are, are you in or out? If you're just trying to get stuff out of me, it's going to work. It's going to cost you everything. Are you in or are you out? I'm in. They were in. Are you in or are you out? Our band's coming. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you that, uh, I thank you, yeah, I just want, I thank you that you are a God that hears, hears us when we come to you. That you've given us um, not just permission, you've commanded us to bring our requests before you. But you told us that you'll hear them when they match up with your will. Teach us to pray like that. And God, you've, you've called us to follow with the cost in mind, understanding that, that being a Christian in Monrovia, Alabama, doesn't just mean like avoiding a few sins and just basically doing whatever you want. That this is a radical abandonment to, to following after Christ in every decision, every option, just we, this is who we are. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter where it takes us or what we have to give up to pursue you, that you are worth it. worth it. God, I pray that 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 question, are you in or are you out, would just resonate through the hearts of these students and that they would come to a decision to be in, to chase after you, no matter the cost, no matter what stands in their way, no matter how hard it gets or how difficult it is or how unpopular it may be, that they would be in. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us.